0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good family. Good to be in God's house with God's people. It's good seeing so many of you here today. I want to just say welcome to you and welcome to those who are joining us online. If you're joining us online, uh, take it a step further. I'm asking you to like and to share this message if you like what you're hearing this morning. Um, That message in the video said, we are all following something or someone. We are all following something or someone. The question is, is Jesus at the top of that list or is he somewhere down a few levels? And that's what prompted this series where we're asking people to level up. Someone turn to someone and say, level up. It's time to level up. And if you're not sure what that means, the definition is to enable a player or character to go to a higher level, gaining more skills and strength. So we're asking and we've been focusing on the fact that there are several areas in the Bible where God is asking us to level up on a continual basis. One is the area of magnif- mag- magnification, which is worship, another word for worship, and, and 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 to understand that we will plan for his pleasure. It's not just coming to church on a Sunday or, or a, a Wednesday prayer meeting, but it's something that takes place uh, 24-7, seven days a week. Jesus said the Father's looking for true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper? Then we talked about The importance of membership if we're going to fulfill the plan that God has for us. That that we are formed for a family. How many of you know that none of us are an island by ourselves? The scripture says that don't don't fall into the habit as, as, as some are in the habit of forsaking the fellowship of the saints. Why? Because when you start to separate yourself from the family of God, you will literally start to burn out spiritually. And there are so many because over the last two years, that's basically what's been happening in the body of Christ. Falling into the habit of not coming. And then at the same time, I can promise you that your spiritual walk is going along the same lines of your attendance, regular attendance with other believers. It's, it, it, you are either in regular attendance and things are hot and on fire with the Lord. Or you're out of fellowship with, the, uh, fellowship with believers and you are out of fellowship with the, with the Father as well. That's the fact of what's happening. And so the Bible says we need to level up in that area, make a new commitment in that area if we are going to start to grow in the grace of God. Today, I'm talking about the area of maturity. How are we going to grow up? And, or Another word for that is discipleship. Why? Because we were created, listen to me, we were created to become like Christ, If you want to know what your purpose is on this planet as a believer, that's what it is. Now, I didn't say it. The Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is what he says. And he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I always like to say, anyone not ashamed to say you love him this morning? Come on, somebody. You love him, right? Another way of saying that is all things work together for the good. Of those who have been called according to what? His what? That means God's got a plan, right? And he's got a purpose. And he's talking about those who are willing to walk in that plan and walk in that purpose for those who are called according to his purpose. Things are going to work out. But the promise isn't necessarily for those who are not walking in his purpose. Come on, somebody. It's getting quiet in here. It says, for those God foreknew, watch this, he also predestined to be, co- to be conformed to the likeness of Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Help me out, somebody. What does it say? Who, who, who is his son? Jesus. So let me read it again now that I got your attention. <laughs> for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be, co- to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Of his son, and, his, and the name of his son is Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and that brothers is a is a term that means brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So if you call yourself a Christian, listen to me. That's where we're all supposed to be heading. We've been predestined by God to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Now, of course, that's done two ways: supernaturally through the process of justification and sanctification uh, by God at the moment of your new birth in Christ. The Bible says old things literally pass away and behold, all things become new. Your name, the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Not because you earned it, because you and I couldn't earn it. It came through faith in the finished work of Christ. And so in that sense, you're already like Christ. That's to say that when God looks at you, who does he see? He sees little Jesuses. But with that said, there's a process. There's a process that if you are now born again, you will now want, want to become like Christ. Does that make sense? You will want to become like him. And and in that process, you you will start to to learn and to grow and get involved in in the things on this earth that will make you mature into into a a disciple of Jesus. Like reading his word and coming to church and and doing the things that are going to make you grow into the things that God wants you to be or to become like his son. Jesus made this statement right before he left the earth. Now, how important is that? It's one of the last things he said before he left this earth. He said in Matthew 28, 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so upon Jesus' return to heaven, he gave us a charge to his church. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. In other words, he says, I I am what this world needs. I represent the love and the heart of God to all humanity. Therefore, he says, I want my church, that's you and me, to do something. I want you as my representatives to go and make disciples. Someone say disciples. disciples. Now, what does that mean? Uh, and what does it mean to be a disciple, and how do we go about doing it? It, it could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, just like, just like we, we, we'll find this morning. Like, worship means a lot of things to a lot of people, but it no, doesn't necessarily mean what God says it means. Fellowship, the same thing. It, it, there's more to discipleship than just what we've come to believe or expect. Now, the question is, is there a difference between those who call themselves believers, Christians, and disciples. How many believers do we have in here? Raise your hand. I see a lot of hands go up. How many Christians do we have in here? Raise your hand. A lot of hands went up, but a a few more didn't go up. How many disciples in here? Raise your hand. Okay. It's still a little bit less than when I said believers. Now, while you're thinking about that, think about this as well. I came across an article, and this is what it says. It says about 3 in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated. Self-identified Christians make up 63% of the U.S. population in 2021. That's just a couple of months ago. Down from 75%, it was as high as 78%, one decade ago. And so it's saying 10 years ago, about 75% of the Americans when they were polled, considered themselves Christians. And today that number has dropped to 63%. Obviously it's going in the wrong direction. But my question to you is, who honestly believes it's even that high? That 63% of America call themselves Christians. Now, I believe they call themselves Christians, but are they really? And, what, and did you ever really believe that 75% of America were Christians, if you, if you listen to the candidates of any side, Democrats or Republicans, most of, or if not all of them, whether they're president or vice president, claim Christianity in some form. I'll let you be the judge whether you think it's true or not. But We become known around the world by our enemies as a Christian nation, by a lot of the nations out there mostly spoken in contempt, but my question again this morning is, are we a Christian nation? And my point is, it's been popular, at least in this nation, to call yourself a Christian, at least by most, but just because you say you are, does it make you one? Does it make you one? Now, how does Jesus and the Bible define, getting back to our first point, how does he define it? How does he define uh, uh, believers and and, and disciples and Christians. Well, you need to know that the word disciple occurs over 290 times in the New Testament. 290 times, while the word Christian only occurs three times. Three times. And here's one of them in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for, so for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with, with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called what? What were they called? The disciples were called what? Christians. Christians first at the city of Antioch. Okay? So Christians were called, the disciples were called Christians. So Christians and disciples, according to what the Word of God says, are two words that mean the same thing, like spouse and wife or husband. This is my spouse, this is my wife, this is my husband, right? They all mean the same thing. And, 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 and Christian or disciple means a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ. And Christian literally means little Christ. So they were called little, they were called Christians there because they were doing the same things as Jesus were doing. Laying hands on the sick and and, and and casting out devils and doing all sorts, uh, all sorts of stuff that Jesus. So they say, "Oh, these these are little little Christs, little Christians." And so, as a follower, it it, it uh, and if you are a follower of Jesus, that means uh, that that as the as the as the um, video suggests, is that you're that you are doing what he says, or you're following after him. So if someone else, that means someone else is in charge. Or, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. Obey what? Obey everything that he commanded and taught. Now, this is my point. There's a large number of people in this country who think they're Christians, but practically speaking, they're not following him at all, and they're certainly not obeying his teaching. They're calling themselves Christians. Uh, In fact, I'm not even sure if they know them at all. They may be cultural Christians. Their mamas and daddies are Christians. Their granddaddies and grandmamas may be Christians. They may be coming from a Christian family. But when it comes to practically what they are doing in their day-to-day life, are they really following and obeying Jesus? Now, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will do what? Obey. He will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. Jesus said, These were, they, they belong to the father who sent me. In other words, if you love me, he says, you're going to do what I ask. You're going to obey the teachings that I bring. The ones who don't love me are not obeying what I'm telling them. Again, in 1 John 2.4, the man who says I know him but does not do, not, that does not do what he commands is what? A is a liar and the truth is not in him. So I want you to fill write this down. The evidence of knowing God and being in relationship with him is following him. Is following him. That's how we grow. That's how we become mature in him. And that's how we become like him. In the same way, God's love for you and me was demonstrated in the giving of his son for the redemption of mankind. Out of love, God sent his son to die and with and with his death, he bought our freedom from sin and guilt and the punishment of hell. And he made for us a place in heaven. In other words, Jesus died for us. Listen to me this morning. Jesus died for us so that we can live for him. Amen? Amen. That, my friends, is the way you show him that you love him is by following and obeying him. Now, I want you to write this down. You don't do it to be saved. Okay? The Bible says it's not by works, all right, but by his blood alone. You don't do it because you're saved, all right? You do it, I mean, you don't do it to be saved. You do it because you're saved. amen? Amen? Because of what he's done for you. And then you don't do it to be loved. You do it because you're loved. Amen? He's not going to love you any more than he loves you right now. He loves the sinner. Bible says if you, even if you made your bed in hell itself, come on, it's not going to keep the love of God away from you. But the love of God is not going to keep you out of hell. How many know that God loves people in hell? He doesn't stop loving them. Okay? And so it's not an issue of his love. It's an issue of what we are doing. It's an issue of obedience. You do it because, like the song says, ain't nobody going to love you like Jesus, and ain't nobody going to love you like the Lord. Amen? And when we get to that point, then you start to sound and act like the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, those are our light and momentary troubles, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is what? Temporary, temporary but what is unseen is? Eternal. Is eternal. So listen to me this morning. Whatever you are going through on this planet, the Bible says it's temporary. Whether it's good or bad, think about the worst thing that's happened to you over the last 12 months. When you put that and you measure it against eternal life, it's temporary. And so Paul looked at whatever he was going through, and how many know Paul went through some things? He went through some difficult times. And this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 4:8. He says, "We are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed." We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, are all, we, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In other words, he, he's saying that the cost of following Jesus at the time was a hard one that resulted in persecution and physical blows. And in some cases, even death. But when compared to the love of God and, and what and what God has in store for all of us, the Apostle Paul said, it's momentary and it's light. And they joyfully deal with it because it's resulting in people seeing and coming to Christ through them. Anyone getting the picture here? That's what he means when he says death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In the fulfillment of, of Uh, uh, doing what God's called them to do as apostles, they took some blows. But as far as Paul was concerned, anything he had to go through in order to get the good news of Jesus Christ out was momentary light afflictions because at some point when he breathes his last on this earth, he's going to breathe his first breath in heaven and start his walk with God for all eternity. Come on, somebody. You see, a true disciple the true discipleship may cost you something. Salvation is free, but the cost of discipleship is not. Write that down. Salvation is free, but the cost of discipleship is not. Any, anybody ever read an, ad, an ad advertisement or advertisement of a product in a paper or, or as seen on TV, and it's a particularly low price, and then when you go to try to buy that thing, it's, uh, uh, it's more expensive than when they advertised or they try to sell you something else. What do we call that? Bait and, bait and switch. And it's supposed to be illegal unless they say limited quantity of first, uh, uh, first 50 people. They usually say that real, real fast. You know, limited quantity of first 50 people. Yeah. You know? Or, or the medicines out there, they say this medicine's gonna save your life, this and that. And back in the day, they would say, but if you take it, you're gonna die. <laughs> as long as they say it, no matter what speed they say it, they're not liable. Come on, somebody. Well, Jesus doesn't want anyone to mis- misunderstand the cost of true discipleship. He's not leaving anything out. It's not going to be a bait and switch. He doesn't speed it up so that you can't hear what he's saying. He puts it in writing. He spells it out in scripture. I need everyone's attention this morning because this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able to, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still uh, still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who, do, who does not give up everything he, he, has, he has cannot be my disciple. Let me read that again. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil, nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow. Turn to someone again and say, it's time to level up. level up. It's time to level up. These are some powerful words and statements as to what Jesus said true Christianity or discipleship looks like. And before you completely throw in the towel, say, Pastor Rick, that's, I can't do that. Because there were many who followed him then. and he said the same thing. Understand what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying. He's not saying hate your family and your life. Why would he say in one place to love your enemies and then turn around and tell you to hate your, your family? Why would he say that? Why would he say love your neighbor as yourself and then turn around and say hate your own life? When Jesus spoke, he often used metaphors and parables and similes to make his point. And in this case, it's using hyperbole, which means an intentional exaggeration to make a point. Like like when your wife says, I told you a million times to put the toilet seat down. And then you come back and say, no, you didn't. You only told me 999,000 times to do it. Or or someone says, someone's butt is as big as a house. How many know that that's not true? They're using a a metaphor to to form a, 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 a picture Okay? Well, Jesus is trying to make a point here. If, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, a follower of God, when you compare your love for me and your love for your family, even your own life, your love for those other things may look like hate. Your love for me should be up here, and your love for other things, are when you compare it, it, it looks like hate. Not hate, but it looks like hate. Okay? That's why people don't get it sometimes when they find people who are willing to to, to put their lives in danger to go preach the gospel to people they don't even know in far off lands, it's not that they don't love or value their own life. They just love God more and are willing to obey him any, anywhere he leads, even if it costs them their lives. Now, practically, if you don't love Jesus more than your family, how many know your family can talk you out of following him? Oh, yeah, all day, all day. In fact, in many places in the world, it does and has caused people their families when they come to Christ. When I, when I went to India a few years ago, and we went from village to village, house to house, preaching the gospel, there were at least two families after we presented the gospel. At least one person in that family says, it makes sense, but I can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because, because the other people in their families were, were Hindus. And they were concerned that if they changed and started following Jesus, it would affect them. And they didn't want to do it. So uh, they, they refused to, to ask Jesus into their lives. In some Muslim countries, they will have funerals for you if you come to Christ. They will treat you like you are dead. And so it doesn't mean that the believer doesn't love them All it means is that the believer loves God more. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Come on, somebody. And that applies to our loved ones. It applies to our self-interest. It applies to our possessions, our careers, our hobbies, our goals in life, and even our own lives. When you're a true disciple of Jesus, you may be tested in all of these areas, And we won't always get it right, but if your heart is fully and truly committed to Jesus, you you won't keep putting other things ahead of him. You just won't. Why? Because you love him too much. And so in this passage, he's saying, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, when you compare your life and attitude to these things, this is how it looks. Listen, everything else looks like hate compared to the love you have for me. Now, he also compares it to a cross, an unfinished building, and, and a king who, who's about to go to war with a greater king and salt that has lost his flavor. All of these are metaphors and parables used by Jesus to teach them that a true disciple is willing to put God before anything and everything in their lives. That's how you grow and mature. That's how you become more like Christ. Again, not trying to earn salvation because you can't but in response to the fact that he was willing to give the thing that he loved the most and that, that which was most dear to him, which was his son, so that you and I could be saved. Now, having said that, it's worth for a moment taking note of who Jesus addresses in his comments. In verse 26, he says, "Anyone, if anyone comes to me, he says, if anyone comes to me, in other words, he's not speaking exclusively to a special group of Christians. He's not just talking to apostles and evangelists and missionaries and pastors or even mature believers. He's saying that this applies to everyone who would be one of his followers. That's you and that's me. The second thing is I want you to note before we close this morning is the reason Jesus chose this time to make these comments. The Bible says he was drawing large crowds like an evangelist. A a dream come true, but, but he found that. They were following him for the wrong reasons. Just like the strange fire we heard about a few weeks ago, and those who would fall into the habit of neglecting fellowship. Right versus wrong worship. So Jesus turned to the lost crowd who was following him and he elaborates to them what actually means, what it actually means to be his disciple, and he's giving them these instructions. And take note that Jesus wasn't just talking to haters, he was talking to people who were who were interested in his life and his message. These were people who were traveling with Jesus, and they had a good attitude toward him, and they were interested in what he had to say, perhaps like the 63% of those who call themselves Christians today. But interest alone doesn't make you a disciple. And so Jesus perceived that they were willing to follow him, providing the cost wasn't too high or the demands weren't too great. They were like the people today who do what I call Christian things. Right? They'll go to church occasionally. They'll pray sometimes. They'll sing Christian songs. They might even put on Christian tattoos on their body or bumper stickers on their car. All right? uh, they'll do a little something uh, uh, you know, uh, for when the offering plate comes around from time to time. But when Jesus is, uh, says, but when what he says conflicts with what they want to do, or how they want to live, or how they want to prioritize their life, they show their true commitment or lack of it. In other words, there's a difference between being what I call a casual follower and a truly committed follower of Christ. They, like the casual followers of today, look to Jesus to solve their problems. If they've got money problems, then Jesus, can you solve it? If they've got relationship problems, they put that before them, health problems, and if those problems aren't solved in a timely manner or requires a real sacrifice, no can do, man. I'm done. Uh, this, I tried this Jesus thing, and this Jesus thing just not working out for me. So they turn around and they start following something else, following something else in the culture, following Hollywood, following their friends, but no longer following Christ people who are constantly seeking a blessing like this large crowd who are following Jesus back then and and today are what I call casual, not committed followers. My question to you this morning, I want to see everybody's eyes. My question to you this morning is which one are you? Which one are you? Does your Christianity go beyond just what Christ can do for you or have done for you? Would you consider yourself a true disciple of Christ in the light of Jesus' definition? Folks, it's time to level up. It's time to level up. In fact, if you really want to get the context of what he's saying in these passages, read it and substitute everywhere where it says disciple for Christian. And then let that sink in. I'm going to read it right now. If anyone comes to me, Jesus speaking, and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be a Christian. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be a Christian. And in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he does cannot be a Christian. Folks, it's not a bait and switch here. There's more to maturity and growing in the grace of God than just showing up on occasion every few weeks or every few months. It's a committed Christ. It's a committed. It's a person who says, Lord, even if the, what you're saying is hard, give me the grace to do it. Give me the grace to follow you. God is calling us to level up in the area of maturity. And that happens when we commit to taking his word, all of it, not just parts that we like or, or isn't hard, and doing what he says. In Romans 2.13 it says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey what he says who will be declared righteous how do we grow how do we mature how do we level up well we've already talked about a couple of them we prioritize our fellowship so many of you are starting to do that more we take time in God's word whatever it takes to get his word inside of us and then when we hear it folks it's not that complicated we do what it says we do what it says so that we can truly call ourselves a disciple of Christ. Does that make sense? But it all starts with submitting to a relationship with Jesus. It's acknowledging that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and that Jesus came out of love for us. God demonstrated his love for us that he gave his one and only son. Come on, somebody. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if you've not yet done that, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him so that we can make a priority in this area of leveling up and say, Lord, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to make a commitment to get into your word this year. I'm going to make a commitment to... Be in fellowship. I'm going to not just hear what you say and let it go in one ear and out the other like possibly 63% of those who call themselves Christians. I honestly don't believe it's that high. We wouldn't be looking at the crime rates that we're looking at. And I certainly don't believe it was ever 78% in this country. We need to get beyond cultural Christianity and get back to committed Christianity and start following truly hard at the Christ for such a time as now, as we see the day approaching. And we learned last week what that day is, right? The coming of Christ. Folks, we're closer than we've ever been. We're closer than we've ever been. It is not time to level down it's time to level up. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. If you've not yet asked Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to extend two invitations. One, to, if you've not yet accepted Christ, and then two, if you have, but you know that you have backed off on your commitment to Christ, honestly. And the thing is, while every head is bowing, every eye is closed. You can fool people. You can fool your parents or your coworkers. We can even oftentimes fool ourselves when we look in the mirror, but you can't ever fool God because he knows where your heart is. And if your heart has wandered from the faith, The Holy Spirit is saying, Come back home. Level up. Make a recommitment to follow me. Say something like this from your heart Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to make me a brand new creature in you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Three days later, rise from the dead. And he was be- he is to, to be the first, he was to become the first fruit of many brothers and sisters who would rise. Thank you, Lord, that whatever I'm facing on this planet is momentary and light when it's compared to the glory of eternal life that you promise to those of us who will trust and Obey. And so today, Father, I commit my life to you. And for those who are followers of Christ or, or call yourself Christians, but you know you haven't been where you should be, say, Lord, I recommit my life to you. Forgive me for straying, for allowing myself to get caught up in things that don't matter. Follow after things that are going to leave me in the wrong path. I recommit my life to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said, Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, Please subscribe to our podcast, if you haven't already, and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.